0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are in the third week of what I would consider to be one of the most significant and important series we've ever done in the history of the Father's House. We are calling it Prepare the Way. And the reason I suggest that this is a a very significant series for us is because we're looking at a foundational portion of scripture that God gave us six years ago uh, before we ever started gathering uh, as a community here at the Father's house. In fact, I was doing the math. Exactly six years ago today, we held our first interest meeting uh, where we invited people that might be interested in coming to help us start a church to join the team. And uh, the first members of the Father's house, I don't know if they're here this morning. Are Richard and Juanita here this morning at this service? No, they're not. Okay. Richard and Juanita Secau, Uh they are the first, the OGs. If you see them in the lobby afterwards, uh, tell them, we love you. Thank you for joining the church. We're not the same without you. Uh, but the next day was when God actually gave us this scripture as we shared on our anniversary service a few weeks ago in a lovely chair that I got to sit in for a little bit. Uh, and uh, that that promised scripture comes in the form of a prayer in Isaiah 62, where the prophet begins to pray over uh, the people uh, of Israel, the, the Jewish nation, um, after they were found in captivity for a period of 70 years in Babylon, um, but God was calling them back home. However, when God gave us this scripture in a prophetic manner, he permitted us to use it as a template to pray for all of the things that he would do in our day, not just to celebrate what he's done in the past, but to apply this scripture to our modern day in San Francisco and use it to contend for all he would do. Um, Our uh, our key verse is found in Isaiah 62, verse 10, where we read this. uh, Go out through the gates, smooth out the road, pull out the boulders, and prepare the way for my people to return. Uh, In our first week, we looked at that scripture and we discussed the fact that salvation is coming to the city of San Francisco in unprecedented numbers. But part of our role is to prepare the way for those that are coming. That is to remove the rocks that he speaks of there in the road, specifically the stone of shame that so many seem to trip over on their way back to Christ. We will not be a house that shames people into coming to Jesus, but we will be a house that operates with grace and opens our arms wide to the sons and daughters that are coming home. And then. Last week, in our second week, we discussed the topic of identity and the crucial role that our perceived identity plays in the way we live our lives, as we looked at some of the new names that God has not just given to a city, but he's given to us as individuals. I encourage you to go back and to listen to those names, get those in your vernacular, begin to declare who God calls you. Uh, but today, as we step into the third week in this series, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures in Isaiah 62 that, if I'm honest they were a bit obscure to me for a relatively long period of time. For the first few years, I used this as a a prayer template. I didn't really know how to apply this portion, and so these verses sat unhighlighted and unnotated in my Bible, although the rest of it was just, I mean, like, my whole Bible was filled with colors except for, like, these two little verses, and I didn't quite know how the promise applied. But, But now, five years in, I have come to recognize this is one of the greatest aspects of the promise God has given our community, and, and I believe you not only will you see why, but you will agree uh, by the time we conclude today. Uh, the verses are uh, found in Isaiah 62 8 and 9, where uh, Isaiah says, This the Lord has sworn to San Francisco by his own strength, I will never again hand you over to your enemies, never again will foreign warriors come and take away your grain and your new wine. You yourselves raised it, and you're gonna eat it, praising the Lord. You will drink the wine you have pressed within the courtyards of the temple. Feels like a timely portion of scripture in light of the events of our world right now, but maybe like me, as you read that verse, you're like, I don't see the application. I don't understand how it applies to our life. I believe we will together as we go to this word. So if you're gonna take notes, I offer you this sermon title. I wanna call this, I Crossed the Line. I cry. If you forget it, use the ace of bass tune. I cross the line and it, oh, so that's a dumb dad joke. I'm sorry. I, I'll scratch that for the next service. Hold on real quick. <laughs> no, let, let's pray and, uh, and we'll get into it. Um, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, this prophetic portion of scripture that you've spoken over our community and over our city. And today, as we go to this text, I pray that you would highlight its relevance to us, that you, you would show us what you want to do in and through our lives and in and through our city. And so uh, we, we open up our hearts now to receive from you, our minds to receive from you. Would you speak to us today and would you transform us before we leave this place? In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen." amen. So. To apply this scripture appropriately, we need to do a little bit of historical homework and some contextualization here. Uh, So permit me for a couple of moments at the beginning here to do a brief biblical history lesson. I'm sorry if it's boring, uh, but uh, I I feel like we need this if we're going to appropriately apply the text. If you go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, you, you will find God beginning to give some some instructions to his people, a a code of conduct to live by before they ever entered into the promised land. Uh, Namely, God begins to tell his people that they are to worship him and him alone. They're not to uh, allow the foreign nations to influence them or the cultures surrounding them to influence their decisions or their worship. They can't engage with the pagan gods or the sexual practices of the perverse nations. Instead, they are to live unto God, the one true God alone. Uh, That that covenant comes in the form of uh, what Hebrews would call the Shema, which is a condensed version Of all the things God spoke to them, where it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Of course, the expanded version of that would be the Old Testament law. But but as you read through Deuteronomy and you get to the 28th chapter, God not only now begins to tell them about what they should and shouldn't do, he, he begins to list out some of the blessings for obedience. And some of the punishment that will come for disobedience and it's a rather lengthy list in fact to me i find it a bit comical as i read through it and, and perhaps you would find it the same because for the first 14 verses he begins to speak about all the blessings he's like i'm going to bless your fields i'm going to bless your kids i'm going to bless your livestock your fruit baskets are going to be blessed your breadboards are going to be blessed and you're like amen But after 14 verses of blessing, he goes on for the next 54 verses, nearly a four to one ratio of punishments that will come if they don't obey what he's asked them to do. And I find that comical because for me, it feels like something that I would do as a parent. How many parents are in the room right now? We do this all the time, okay? We tell our kids we're gonna bless them with something, but then we offer a four to one ratio of discipline if they don't do what we asked, right? You know we do, we're like, hey, if you guys obey, we're gonna go to ice cream tonight, it's gonna be great. If you don't, you're grounded, you get extra chores, I'm taking all your devices away, and 50 push-ups on your knuckles, all right, just to be clear. That's how we do it in the Biddle household, all right, I don't know about y'all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not a drill sergeant, I have daughters, I don't make them do push-ups on their knuckles, at least not 50. Uh, <laughs> but 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 if you, Go on and read, it makes it pretty clear that God wanted to tell his people, okay, things are gonna go far worse for you if you disobey than they will if you obey. And among these warnings that God issues to his people are a few that foreshadow the very scriptures we read just a moment ago. He begins to tell them, if you turn your back on me, if you embrace the ways of the surrounding nations, then a foreign enemy will invade your land And they will eat the grain that you harvested and they will drink the wine that you've pressed. In other words, all the efforts that you put forth to bring about this harvest will have been in vain because ultimately I will hand over your harvest to your enemy. And sadly, despite the many warnings, that's exactly what happened. We've discussed it every single week. This was a prophetic scripture that Isaiah was declaring over a coming time that did, in fact, come to pass, where the people of God turned their back on God, they embraced the cultures of the surrounding nations, and as promised, the foreign nation of Babylon came in, they enslaved the people, they decimated the city, and they ate the grain, and they drank the wine. And God told them it would happen, and it did. But because God is abounding in mercy... Because he never forgets his covenant, he wasn't done with his people. The Bible says in Lamentations, his mercies are new every single morning. And as the prophet Jeremiah declares in the 29th chapter, Behold, I have good plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And that hopeful future is outlined right here in the 62nd chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah. As he begins to speak to this disenfranchised people, he says, guys, I know that you turned your back. I know that you're being punished for the decisions you've made, but God's not done with you yet because there will yet be a time that he brings you safely back into the land. And guess what? That grain that was stolen, you will eat of it again. The wine that they drank, you're going to drink your own wine. The wine you pressed will be yours. Your storehouses will be filled. I will bless you yet again which is a great promise if you're an ancient Israelite in an agrarian culture. But it's a bit obscure if you're a modern San Franciscan here on the west side of the city. <laughs> right? You're like, I, especially if you're like me, and even if God did fill your storehouses with grain, you wouldn't be able to eat it because you have two celiacs in your house. <laughs> the only foreign enemy in my home is gluten, all right? it's gotta keep it at bay. And I've never grown grapes. I've never pressed my own wine. I pressed a button on the BevMo website and they delivered it to my house, but I, I've never done any of these things. So I don't know how these blessings calculate for me. So, so, so what does this mean to us? Like, How does this portion of the promise apply? And for years I wasn't able to answer that question. But after experiencing life in the city and the realities of pastoring a church for a few years, I, I believe that God has brought some clarity as to what this prophetic promise means to us. And that clarity comes in the form of six words that conclude this portion of scripture we're studying today, where Isaiah says this in verse nine. You raise the grain, you will eat it, praising the Lord. You yourselves will drink the wine you have pressed within the courtyards of the temple. Some translations read, within the courtyards of my holy sanctuary, within the courtyards of my house. Follow me for a moment. Let me reiterate something that we talked about almost every week thus far in the series. Yes, this was a literal promise that God made to a specific group of people during a specific time in history. He was talking about them coming home from Babylon. However, God uses scripture, even ancient promises, to speak to modern realities when it comes to his people today. And so while it has a literal application, it also has a prophetic application for us. Yes, God did bring his people back safely into the land. They were able to eat the grain that they harvested and drink the wine that they pressed. But for us, this is much bigger than grain and wine because this promise doesn't speak to food or drink. This promise speaks to people. In the same way that God said the enemy will no longer consume the harvest that you have worked to produce, He would speak over us and the city of San Francisco that the days of the enemy eating the harvest of people, the days of the enemy consuming those who God has brought into his house only to see them taken out again, those days are coming to an end in the name of Jesus. Not only will souls be harvested into the house, but they will remain safely within the courtyards of his temple. That is the promise he has made to us. And for a guy in my position doing what I do, that's a great promise. Because if there's one thing I hate more than anything else, it's losing people. Let me clarify that statement. I don't mean that like in the clingy sense, like, you know, the possessive way. I understand that we live in a transient city where people come for work and then they leave or they come for school and then they leave. And, and, and you know, that, that happens. It's, that's natural. I'm not angry about that. I also understand that uh, although I love this church, this may not be the church for everybody. Uh don't say that's right, David. You work for us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we might not be everybody's cup of tea long term, all right? Our, our culture, our style, perhaps one of the communication teams preaching, it may not be everybody's flavor long-term. Perhaps we play a role in the salvation of individuals, but, but not everybody stays. And, and sometimes, because of seasonal life or whatever needs, people end up at other churches. And, and I'm, I'm cool with that. I celebrate the variety within the body of Christ. I try not to be clingy or white-knuckled with people, but to bless them on the way in the same way we bless them on the way out. That, that's what we do around here. I mean, I like this church personally. I mean, I think I'd come here even if you know I, I, I didn't work here, but you know, that's just me. I may not be everybody's cup of tea. So when I say I hate losing people, I'm not talking about losing people to other churches or losing people to other cities. Uh, those are not the enemies, all right? Other churches are, are not the enemy. Other cities are not the enemy. LA might be the enemy, Dallas might be an enemy, but, but, but not every, <laughs> not every city. <laughs> Kicking them in the shins. (laughs) You know it was coming at some point. (laughs) Not every city is the enemy, none of the other churches are the enemy. When I say I hate losing people, here's what I mean: I hate losing people whom God called out of darkness, brought into his glorious light, added to his family called the church. People we invested time, energy, and effort to disciple and to develop, only see the enemy snatch them from the house of God, get drugged back into their old lifestyle of sin, or walk away from the very place that brought them life. I hate that. Yeah. Nothing grieves me more than when I look back at some of the old videos or photos of the church and I see faces of people that I love and that I still pray for. And they, uh, I look at the seats they used to occupy on a Sunday morning and their hands were lifted and they worship God, but today they're missing in action because they walked away. But it happens. Probably more than we care to admit. And it's always happened. Even Jesus didn't get to keep everybody. Jesus one day was talking to his disciples and he he said, Satan has perpetually, this is the verb tense in the Greek, has been trying to sift you like wheat from me. He's on a never-ending quest to to shake the people of the church so that he can sift some of those that God plucked out of darkness and drag them back into their old lifestyles. And here we are, 2,000 years later, he's still doing the same thing, because it still works. And there's a number of ways that Satan sifts, or a number of reasons that people walk away from the house of God, the community of faith. There's a variety of reasons. Maybe one of those reasons is that they never truly developed the disciplines of faith. They came to church, But they never developed that daily rhythm of reading the scriptures or prayer. and So they were relying on one meal a week in the house of God instead of the daily bread that God has said we're supposed to rely upon. And so when starvation set in because they were only eating once a week, they reached for what was available, which was the things of this world, and they filled themselves with that instead of with the bread of life. And so eventually they they walked away. Still others, maybe they walk away because... They were never truly involved in the community or the family of God. They treated church like a movie theater and not like a family. So when the show was over and they'd enjoyed it and the lights came on, they were able to walk in and walk out unnoticed. In fact, it was probably worse than a movie theater because they probably didn't even pay for their ticket. (laughs) I'm just here for the free show, and then I'm going to go back to my life. You know, take that for what it's worth. I don't know. In fact, let me just say this, and it's not about money. Don't worry. If you can walk in and out of church and no one knows you, that's a problem. If no one knows your name, if, if you could leave and you would go unnoticed, that's a problem. And that's a you problem, not a father's house problem. Let me be clear. We can only do so much. We got connect tables. We got a whole team that follows up with people when they show up for the first time. There's groups, there's ways to serve around here. There's Discover. There's a never ending list of ways to get connected to the family of God around here. But at some point, you have to be willing to connect. And I don't mean this as a threat or prophesying doom, but mark my words, because I've seen it enough. It is only a matter of time before you walk away if you don't become a part of the family. That's what strangers do. They come in, they come out, and when they get bored, they walk away. You need the community, and that's why some people leave. Still others, in similar fashion, they, they walk away because maybe they were never truly here to begin with. They were physically present, but they're like that soil that Jesus speaks to in the parable of the sower where the gospel was planted and it sprouted up quickly and we're like, oh my gosh, look at what God's doing in their life, but they were never deep roots. And so the the plant shriveled and fizzled away just as fast as it grew because they, they weren't truly rooted in the things of God. There's a number of reasons that people fall away. But I think... And this is opinion, but I think I've seen it enough. I think one of the main reasons that so many people walk away is because of an unwillingness to do what our title suggests today. There came a moment in the journey of faith where Jesus called them to align. He said, there's a decision that you have to make. Are you going to continue to do what you're doing or will you follow me? And in that moment, the cost of crossing the line felt too significant. And so instead of walking towards Jesus, they walked away. Uh, let Let me illustrate this for you. This is a familiar scenario for many of us in the life of faith. Jesus will come to you time and time again, and you've felt this before, and he will present you with a line. On this side is your way of thinking, your way of doing, your way of living. You've been doing it your whole life. And he calls from this side and he says, I see what you're doing there, but this is what I'm asking of you. I know that you think that's right and that's what your culture tells you, but my ways are not like your ways. They are higher than your ways. And if you want what I have to offer, you're gonna need to cross over that line. We are faced... And this is not a one time event. This is an ongoing, perhaps sometimes daily decision. We are faced with lines that we have to choose. Am I going to stay where I'm at only to do an about face and walk away? Or will I cross over this line and embrace what God has for me? What are we going to do? Jesus, one day, he's teaching on the shores of Galilee and he's got a bunch of disciples around him. And uh, he gets to this part of the sermon about halfway through where things start to get a little bit aggressive. He's not teaching that seeker-sensitive, diet Christian Caleb content anymore. This is no longer positive and encouraging. He's being very clear about the cost of discipleship. He's like, this is what it's gonna take for you to truly follow me. And as he begins to preach and get a little bit aggressive, some of the disciples get nervous and uncomfortable because they recognize that they're approaching a line. They're like, okay, I know what's happening next. Pretty soon, Jesus is gonna call for the keys player. They're gonna play those whale sounds, it's going to get really emotional in here, and eventually Jesus is going to look at us and say, "You have a decision to make. What are you going to do? You're going to stay where you're at or are you are. You're going to cl- cross over that line." Yeah. And when faced with this decision, look at what the scriptures tell us in the 66th verse of the sixth chapter of John. You know it's going to be a rough scripture when the address is 666. <laughs> all right. Look at what it says in John 666. At this point, many of his disciples walked away. Put that scripture in your pocket. Put it on your fridge. John 6:66. At that point, many of his disciples Notice who we're talking about. Not seekers, not, oh, I saw a bus ad and I decided to come check out the father's house. My friend invited me. No, these are people who had been walking with Jesus, who had witnessed miracles, who had experienced his power and his love, and when faced with an uncomfortable decision to make, they chose to walk away. Perhaps there is such a thing as those that were once following Jesus, turning their back and walking away. This is, this is a familiar scenario. In fact, look at what the theologian William Barclay says, and I love his commentary on this. He says, here we come upon a truth that reemerges in every age. Time and again, it is not the intellectually, intellectual difficulty which keeps men and women from becoming Christians. It is the height of Christ's moral demand. The real difficulty of Christianity is twofold. It demands an act of surrender to Christ and acceptance of him as the final authority and it demands a moral standard of the highest level. To this day, many refuse Christ not because he puzzles the intellect but because he challenges their lives. Put that in your Christian pipe and smoke it. (laughs) Is there a Christian pipe? I don't know. (laughs) How sad that reality is. (laughs) They like that joke over there in the youth section. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Many refuse Christ because he challenges their life. Because he poses this question, will you step over the line? Which brings us to that magical moment in the sermon where I get to pose a question. A question that forces us to not look judgmentally upon a group of disciples that walked away and arrogantly assume that we would never do the same, but to truly embrace the truth of what the scriptures are speaking to right now. Uncharacteristically, this is not a question that I pose to you that I've brilliantly wordsmithed. No, this is a question from the lips of Jesus. Because when Jesus watched this group walk away, he turns to the remaining disciples around him and he asks this Very important question. You gonna leave too? You gonna bounce? Now that it's hard? You liked the blessings, didn't you? You liked when I opened up the blind eyes and opened the deaf ears, and when I raised that dead guy, you guys were all clapping. But but now that I'm asking you to do something that's uncomfortable. Are you going to stay where you're at or will you cross the line? So I ask you, Jesus asks you, what are you going to do when you stand by this line? What are you going to do when Jesus calls you to the line of biblical sexuality? Hey, I know your culture says that that's okay. It's celebrated. Some would even mock you for having a different standard. They would chalk it up to you being a religious zealot to suggest anything otherwise. But let me remind you, they didn't create sexuality so don't get to define sexuality. I created sexuality. And I might have a lofty standard, but my standard is for your good. So I ask you, will you lay down that relationship? Will you lay down that living situation? Will you lay down that indulgence? Will you lay down that mindset and cross over that line? Or are you gonna stay here and walk away? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do when he calls you to the line of sacrificial giving? That line that someone up here every single weekend talks about, that line where we say, Jesus, I recognize that I did not provide for myself, but that you are my provider, and it is my joy to give back a tenth of my resource to you. The line that is less about your money and more about your heart, because Jesus says that your resources are tied, they're tethered to your heart, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's not about funding a church, it's about surrendering my heart. Will you be like the rich young ruler who looked at Jesus and said, I like what I've got more than I love you and walk away? Or will you step over the line of sacrificial giving? What about when he calls you to the line of true discipleship? Not cookies in a living room with someone on a Wednesday night, but truly submitting your life to another individual. Saying, I give you permission to correct me and sharpen me like iron sharpens iron. I will not run away when you say, hey, that's out of line, that's out of whack. We need to fix this area of your life. No, I gladly welcome. Wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy, so I will submit myself to correction and I will step over that line. Or will you live a dull life because you refuse to be sharpened and you walk away every time someone tries to correct you because you got pride in your life? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when Jesus calls you to the line? And at the risk of belaboring this, I had nearly finished writing the sermon when the Holy Spirit brought me back to this section and he said, don't forget about baptism. Because baptism is a line that a lot of people have not yet stepped over. Are you gonna buy into the lie on this side of the line that you need to fix your life and get free before you qualify to get baptized, which is in fact a lie that the enemy peddles because he wants you to stay bound? Or will you recognize that the freedom you're looking for is on the other side of that, ba- that baptism, that line? To try, trying to get free before baptism is like trying to get clean before taking a bath. It doesn't make any sense. Romans 6.1 says that it's in the waters of baptism where our old man is put to death. We are buried with Christ and the sin nature supernaturally dies while a new creation comes up out of those waters and we can live in the freedom that has been made available to us in Jesus. 1 Corinthians. uh, 10 says that baptism is like crossing over the line of the Red Sea when the Israelites saw their enemies buried in the waters. You don't want to get drugged back to where you came from. You better get into the waters and let God kill off your enemy so that you can walk into the promised land that he has available for you. There's some lines. This is a familiar territory for faith. I could go on. We could talk about your plans and your dreams and the blueprints we submit to God or unforgiveness and bitterness or being willing to extend the forgiveness that God has extended to you. There's a lot of lines that we face, but we have to answer this question. What are we going to do when he calls us to the line? My prayer is that we would not be like the rich young ruler or the flaky disciples on the Sea of Galilee but that we would respond to this question the way that the apostle Peter responded. When posed with this question, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna leave too? Look at what Peter says to Jesus. He says, where else can we go, Lord? For you alone have the words of life. I got nowhere else to go but to you, Jesus. There's nothing waiting for me over here. Everything I want is on this side of the line. May that be our declaration. And listen, I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This is not easy, all right? It's easy for me to step over an orange line here on the stage. But in reality, this is a challenge. This is uncomfortable. It's painful. Sometimes it's costly. There are relationships that pay the price in the midst of crossing over this line. I'm not going to pretend this is easy. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, it's going to feel like taking up your cross daily, dying to yourself daily to truly follow me. He never promised comfort in the process, but he also said those that are willing to lose their life for my sake, they will truly find everything that they're looking for. Everything you want, translation, is on this side of the line. There's joy over here. There's peace over here. There's provision over here. There's blessing over here. There's fulfillment over here. There's purpose over here. There's the life that God has called you to on this side of the line. So, so I can't talk for you, but I'm going to speak for myself. When I am presented with these lines in my life, I want to be like Joshua. I wanna be like the one who said, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and as for my family, we're stepping over the line and we will step into all that God has for our future. Actually, maybe I can speak for you because if Isaiah 62 is the promise that God has made to our church, then that means I'm not gonna be alone on this side of the line, but there's a whole community of people that are gonna say, I will embrace the cost. I'm not gonna turn and walk away. I am stepping into everything that God has for me. because where else am I gonna go? You alone have the words of life. In fact, let me speak while we're on a roll here. Let's go ahead and speak to some mothers and fathers with some sons and daughters that are outside of the house right now. This is your promise as well. As the Lord spoke to us about on Tuesday when he prophetically asked me to take this box of names and flip it upside down as a sign that there are sons and daughters coming back to the house and we no longer will need to pray for them because they'll be seated in the house of god safely let me speak over you your sons and your daughters are coming back home they are heirs to this promise as well the enemy might have thought he won because he sifted them for a season And he began to consume that which you raised. But as Isaiah spoke, that which you raised, you will enjoy yourself in the courtyards of your God. You trained them up in the ways of the Lord. They will not depart from it when they are young. So ready, the ring, ready, the robe, the kids are coming home. In Jesus' name. That's that's the promise. You raised the grain, you will eat it. You press the wine, you will drink it safely in the courtyards of my house. It's about people. It's about people. So I gave you the Jesus question. Let me give you my question as we conclude. You get two today, two for the price of one. It's a bonus day here, a BOGO at the Father's house. (laughs) As the worship team comes and, and we close here, Let me ask you to consider everything that you just witnessed and that we discussed and let me pose the obvious question. What line do you need to cross over? As the whale sounds start in just a moment an emotion sweeps into the room. Seriously, consider this. Are there lines that I've said no to? Are are there things that, that God has called me to that I've walked away from but he's... He's bringing me back. Maybe it's something we discussed, maybe it's not. But rest assured, you will not get to walk on this journey of faith for very long before God calls you to the line. And he asks, what matters more? What's of more value to you? What I have on this side or the dead things you're clinging to on this side? What do you want? My prayer is that we would be people that could echo the title of this sermon. When presented, I didn't stay. I crossed the line. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak to us even now. I remember when I was younger, a pastor got to an altar call and he painted this imagery of your heart being like a a house with a bunch of rooms. And he said to... God would come to certain doors that you may have locked and you, you closed and said, ah, that room's off limits to you. God, we don't, wanna, we don't wanna be those people. Every threshold is one that you have permission to cross. Every door is open. Speak to us today. What would you call us into? What lines would you ask us to step over? And even as we consider that, maybe there's a few in the room today that would say, The line i need to step over is the the line of surrendering my life to christ i i i have been doing things my way i i have been living my way with my own plans and my own dreams and my life is 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 meaningless apart from christ and i'm recognizing that i can sense him calling me to the line of salvation saying son daughter i've made a way for you to be in right relationship with me and if you need to get things right with god before you leave here today As we do every single week, at every single service, we're gonna pray a prayer of commitment for those that need to to, to join the family, to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you this morning and you say, I've been away from God and I don't wanna stay there, would you just simply lift your hand and look at me and say, Tim, I need to pray that prayer with you this morning, if that's you here today. Come on, be bold. Got you, bro, thank you in the back, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I got you over there, thank you. Awesome, thank you. Hallelujah. All right. Nine o'clock, let's pray with these that are making this decision out loud so they're not doing it alone. Everyone repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I willingly choose to step over that line. Forgive me of my sin and help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate with all the angels as those who lifted their hand, made that decision. Hallelujah. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.